Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Jesus, would you look who it is long time now, see? The Oakley, still working for the Carbone. That was the Oakley, still acting the bollocks. That's gas. Gives a shatty alone. Oh, you will, yeah. You're some gobble. He's bleeding massive. Ah, there. He's your man. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tis Yourself. Thanks a million for tuning in this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening. And wherever you are in Ireland, the world, thanks for coming along, thanks for pressing play. I'm the host here, Nicola Barden is my name, and this is my little podcast, and I'm so happy that you are here with me today. So my guest today is an Irish singing legend, of course. Um, I really wanted to do a really cool intro to him but I really want to do a cheesy one as well so let me start with cheesy (laughs) he stands under moonlight he touches her hair his smile lights emotion his love fills the air now if you're an Irish person or a Eurovision fanatic you will know that song I'm not going to sing it because look I just won't inflict that on any of you that's just not fair my guest today is the fabulous singer from Donegal Mickey Joe Hart and that song, of course, was We've Got the World from the Eurovision. Um, if you were around back in the day, I think 20 years. Oh, my God. It's so scary to me. 20 years ago, Mickey Joe won Eurostar and got to represent Ireland in the Eurovision. At the time, if you didn't know, Eurostar was this new singing show, which was going to be like the X Factor or whatever. And basically it was set here in Ireland and the judges got to pick someone and the winner was going towards for the Eurovision. And this is like pre this is before the kind of format of Eurovision now where there was no like heats and stuff like that there was no like semi-final and that so anyway Mickey Joe was in it that was 2003 that was 20 years ago and he sang We Got The World came 11th so one of our best placings in recent years and of course he's been known ever since I'll still remember him that green guitar we used to sing the song all the bloody time great and like still catchy so catchy if it came on now I'd be loving my life on a night out so great tune a lot of you will probably know him um, if you weren't around that time he does a lot of college gigs and he tours quite a lot around Ireland so he's one of those people that is constantly popping up in a club or a bar or a, a venue near you and he's definitely worth going seeing great owl crack he's got some links to Beyonce which you probably won't believe but you'll have to wait and see what they are he chats here all about the song what he thought of it when he first got it how he didn't even know he was entering the Eurovision when he went into Eurostar yeah so much more and of course what it's like I suppose trying to navigate um, the music industry like before he became famous you know how what was the difference like when he became one on TV show in comparison to you know bars and clubs and etc etc he's got a new single out called Derry Girls so go and listen to that after this chat but first up here is Mickey Joe Hart on Tis Yourself Hello how are you doing? 
Hi, how's it going, Nicola? I'm good. How are you? Ah, uh, it's going all right. You know, just it's great, great. to chat to you. Um, and to look back at, I suppose, everything um, in your career and everything that you've been through. But I kind of want to go back to the start to kick things off. And like, obviously, we all know you from starting off at Eurovision. But like, I know from before that you were like a gigging musician. Was like, did you want to get into music very early? Or were, or was that like a, I'm going to do that on the side and I'll also work as an accountant or kind of? No, I had no plan B. <laughs> never, never, ever. Uh, I always say, like, um, if I tried to go now, I mean, I've never had to do an interview. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't say that with any kind of pride or anything. It's just I've never been in that scenario. I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I had to go back now. Uh, God forbid, and do something, uh, you know, a proper job, as it were. And you know, so I, I, I really don't have a plan B. I never had. I, I got into music when I was about. Like, I started gigging. When I was about fifteen with a pal of mine, and just popped in and just. I just remember doing local concerts and stuff and just absolutely loving it and saying, you know, this is what I want to do. I knew straight away. My brother and and there was music about the house and my brother played guitar. There were always musicians, you know, and he was in bands. There was always people about the house and musicians. My uncle was in a band and things like that. So there was, uh, my auntie was on stage. She was, you know, kind of uh, am jam sort of thing for players and stuff. She was good. So there was always that kind of, you know, when you were at, um, in the house, if there was a party or any kind of a celebration, christenings, Christmas, you were always like, you know, stand up there and give us a song or do your party because everybody had their own thing. And my father played a bit of mouth organ. Uh, you know, everybody had their... So I remember just getting a gig and uh, myself and my pal, who was a really good piano player, and his dad was the headmaster at school as well. So <laughs> and he... he uh, he seen us playing and there was a local man who was a ballad singer called Brendan Maxwell who's passed away since and he had a show on Highland Radio for years and he was a friend of, of Jerry my, my Finian's father my keyboard player's father's come in I remember him coming into the room and saying what do you think are these lads good enough to go out and like do a gig oh he said yeah absolutely get them out straight away and so Jerry started sort of big booking gigs for us up around Bondoran places we used to go up for a month when we were 15 or 16 and just go around all the pubs and the clubs and and uh, I, 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 he had great patience and tolerance for us. There were three of us then in the band, maybe at that stage, there were three of us. And um, he used to pack us all into the car and he had a he had a, a, a trailer and, you know, all the gear and sort of he tour managed us and <laughs> got the money and paid us all 10 or 15 quid at the end of the night. I think we got 50 quid for the night, but we were delighted. So it was just, you know, the realisation, Jesus, this is, I love this and I actually can get paid for it as well and make a living out of it. But, um, so you that never had to plan. do like the done stores or working in central like the rest of us. You went straight into something you loved without doing the yeah. kind of crappy Saturday well, job. Yeah, it's not that I didn't have times where I was absolutely, you know, skint, perhaps, you know, and didn't have enough money to pay the bills and all them kind of days, absolutely, and weeks and months, you know, with a young family and all that. So, mm. um, yeah, but I managed to sort of, the good, you know, the good months we kind of look after the bad months, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of the way the business goes, and it's still pretty much the same. You know, it, it just gets just on a different. You just learn to manage it better, I suppose, or whatever. You know, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it was. It's it's not it's 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 not the kind of um, it's not for everybody that type of insecurity or that you know that mm. you know not knowing that there's going to be money in the bank at the end of the month or whatever, you know, and I can, I, I realize, you know, uh, I realize how 
um, nice that is to have, <laughs> you know, reassuring. That could be, and I never had, you know, that security, I suppose, ever. But um, yeah, I've managed to, you know, make a living out of it, and make ends meet, and sometimes it's been very good to me, you know, and then. Mm-hmm. Stay sort of when the things times are good, you kind of keep a bit for when times are bad. <laughs> yeah, no big expenses, no like I'm paying for this fancy hotel. You're like, I might not eat next month. This has to carry over. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know, there's kind of that you know, it's just keeping keeping it on the road and keep yourself. I do. It's also I, I had a band for years and that you know a lot of people a lot of mouths to feed. Now it's all solo and pretty much doing. Most so stuff, everything goes in the boot, and you know if I go to a venue, they have a they have a rig and, a, and an engineer in place, or you know hire in somebody that do all that. We don't have the the big band and the big production on on you know in the back of the van traveling to gigs and all, and all that expense. So I keep it simple now, you know. But it's um, I'm really enjoying it because you know it's, it's, that takes all that headache away, and I'm just enjoying the challenge. You know, the last few years of doing us kind of concentrating on a solo sort of. Um, set, you know, and performance, and you know, making that sort of interesting for people and for myself. So that's 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 where it's at at the moment for me, you know. So. I imagine, uh, like, what? How important are those gigs that you did? The small gigs, the going to Bundoran for a month, the going to like the back arse of nowhere. Because I yeah. suppose a lot of people don't con- tie that in with you. They think of you went on to a show that made them know you, but you would have been going Derry, Donegal, mm. up the north, down south, blah blah blah. Are they? Did they stand to you then when you know when times are tough? You're like, I can go back to that. It's always there, you know. It's always something that's that's uh, the the beauty of that time. Uh, it's not even so much now, but there was a network, a pub network in Ireland that was. I, I don't think there was anywhere. I don't think there's anywhere else in the world that had that kind of network of gigs. That nearly every pub in the country did music, maybe four nights a week. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was fifteen and sixteen, so it was. I could fill my diary, sort of, or keep really busy at least when I was that age, or whenever you know, was going up doing that and doing weddings and doing whatever, um, just by you know, without going, you know, farther than Donegal, Tyrone, and Derry, really, you know. And then the odd trip here and there, you know, when I was just cutting my teeth and going, and, and you know, you could keep really busy, and because pubs were doing literally pubs were doing music four nights a week. You know, now pubs, you're lucky if pubs are doing music one night a week, and it's difficult for people to make ends meet on that, you know, so that's quite competitive now, you know. I mean, when we started it, we weren't anyway good or anything, but they would give you people just give you a chance. And as long as you kept, you know, the the as long as it was a good night, you know, and the people would kind of enjoy you get another couple of gigs off them. And that's how it worked. And, you know, now it's there's a kind of a, a degree of professionalism maybe and big, you know, PA, you know, even in a pub, you know, you have guys coming in, they've got a big setup and I'm going, Jesus, you know, we had one speaker and, you know, sometimes it wasn't even working. Or <laughs> <You know, laughs> whatever, you know, and that, that was that was a difference. And uh, now it's there's a it's a very competitive market because there is less of it. And, you know, back then it was um, it was, you were double booked, you know, people were, you could have had two gigs in the same night, you know, so it was always struggling. struggle, and you'd be ringing the guys, can you cover a gig for me, and do all that, because there was, you know, there was an abundance of, mm. of, of music, and an abundance of kind of a pub network, you know, and a club network around Ireland that was, was great for just getting out and 
cutting your teeth. It's not so much there now anymore, but you know, it's still there, but it's not like it was there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the old man of the road, but you know, it was a great way to learn. And those are when, when you do those pubs, I mean, my cousins had a pub in a Liverpool bar. And I mean, if you'd done a gig there and you survived it and got through it, I mean, you could do pretty much anywhere, you know, because <laughs> they would tell you. You were shite, they would tell you. Either that was shite or you had a shit night or, you know, what the fuck are you thinking about? Yeah, what were you at? So you, you kind of got a thick skin in a way, you know, and you learned that way. And it was a good it was a good way of learning before, I suppose, in my scenario then, whenever Eurostar or whatever came along, whenever I had that, got that break, I was kind of, you know, I was the skin was thick enough to take the, the, the heat, you know, whenever... So that that definitely stood to me. Yeah, was you know, but yeah. so. Um, no, I think a lot of people now these days don't get they don't get the I suppose the blunt rejection they might you that people might have gotten you know ten years ago even like that they might not know why they've been rejected from a gig or why they haven't been chosen and stuff like that people aren't maybe given the feedback they might have as you said like if you're in a bar and somebody's staring at you and they're like that song is shite well you're like right okay my song yeah. is shite and I learn it but yeah. a lot of people now these days don't get that kind of feedback they just kind of. They don't do the pub gigs, so they don't see the audience interaction. And they might just be going into yeah. a room with one man and just singing for five minutes and that's it. Yeah, just that kind of, you know, I, I see kids coming out of whatever school or whatever and they, they've seen, you know, the X Factor thing and I'm not knocking or anything, but they're going straight into that scene and maybe getting a break and getting through that, you know, to the, whatever the judges' houses or whatever it is and going all that way when they're 17 or something. I can't imagine because I certainly wouldn't have been able to deal with that at that early age, you know, and kind of take it all in what happened to me later on, you know, the 10 years that I had or 12 years, whatever it was, pretty much before, kind of. So I had a kind of a good bit of experience under my belt, and, you know, in terms of just slogging gigs, not experience at a high level, but experience of just going out and getting in the back of a van, getting out of a van, setting up your gear, learning how to do a sound check and learning how to entertain an audience or how to keep them happy and how to deliver a song, as it were. Yeah. You know, that and deliver a gig. That, and that's uh, pretty much, it doesn't change. It just You just kind of, you just fine-tune it a bit better, you know, but the the the, the end game is still the same. You still have to entertain whoever's in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, large audience, small audience, it's still the same. You know, if you, if you don't, you don't get back or they don't come back and buy the tickets the next day or whatever, you know, so it's the same, it's the same scenario, but it's just a different, you know, different and like level the, or different venues. The percentage though of people that make it like to that high level from these shows is quite small. So like, you know, if you're getting it like a 1% of people who go on to find fame and then even within that, they might have a really good first album or, you know, get a spurt of three years where they do brilliant. And then somebody else comes along and then they have to nearly start over again. And as you say, they don't know how to do a sound check or they don't know how to promote because they've always had a big promotions team. And now suddenly they're at a much smaller record label who are Mm. like, no, you have to do the slog here. And they're like, wait, hold on. I'm not playing the three arena. I have to play, you know, a pub. And they're like, wait, I don't know what to do. What do you mean? There's 10 backing singers, you know, it's very so to have a back and that you are like you said I've gone up and people have told me I've been crap people have told me I've been brilliant before getting known is nearly like a very good it's like going to school nearly in a way yeah absolutely and it is and that's the thing you can fall back on that it's a kind of a safety net if you like because you know like okay you know 
I was never under the illusion I'd went through that. You know, I went to rock school in Bally Ferment. You were hearing all these horror stories about people, you know, when fellas coming in saying, you know, I had a record deal with this guy, blah, 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 and all the shit, and I'll get ripped off. So you were well aware of, you know, things that, that was good. And then I'd done two years in Derry, studying music there, and a similar type of, you know, course. Um, so I had all those little bits of experience and people coming in and doing talks and people, real people from the industry that had gone through it. So I was very aware of it. You know, I remember uh, even after I got my deal with Sony and chatting to um, a couple of the guys and, uh, you know, around Dublin who would have been friends, the guys, you know, Glenn and those guys. And uh, I'm saying, fuck, you know, I, I, I kind of left Sony early. I, you know, I made a mistake. I should have stuck with Sony. I should have. You know, I shouldn't have set up my own label. I should have done another album with him and all that. And he said, ah, fucking worry about it. I'm on my third label, you know. And <laughs> I was kind of like, I was getting one of those realizations. Yeah, okay, that's, you know, you have to, you just have to try and, you know, navigate that. And sometimes you make the right decision, sometimes you make the wrong. But um, the, the thing about the industry or the, the scenarios haven't really changed so much. Even, although the how you get your break is different now. Mm. But all the shit stuff that's around it is pretty much the similar same, you know, the difference is people go on to a TV show now, maybe, or whatever that they do, or they go on YouTube mm. and they're discovered through that and they become this YouTube sensation. And then they get a record deal and then they come on wherever it might be, or they go on to X factor, the voice or whatever it might be, or America's got talent, whatever it might be. And they get discovered that way. And boom, they get a record deal and blah, 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 blah. The difference was when we were doing it, you went to Whelan's or you went to the Bagot Inn in Dublin or whatever those places were. And that's where the, the guys from the record labels were hanging out. Mm. So you tried to get in front of them. So that was your effectively your X factor. That was your stage. But it's, all the other stuff hasn't changed really. You know, uh, the dynamics of a record label and all the shit that you have to go through with A&R and, you know, trying to negotiate a deal and what songs are going to be in the album and all the input that the labels then have and kind of the control that they have. That hasn't changed. It's just how, and people are obsessed with, oh, you know, people that get their break on on X Factor or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're any less talented than maybe people that have got their breaks in a band, mm. in front, on a, you know, in a club somewhere, that an A&R guy here is, you know. Yeah. And the reality is that there's not that many big deals anymore. There was lots of record deals going about when we were, like, when we grew up in Dublin. Like, you know, there were, because of U2 and all the stuff that was happening, labels were flying into Dublin all the time and they were trying to find the next, you know, and that's why, you know, all, all the bands were getting signed around, you know, the Irish bands at the time and they were looking for the next U2 or whatever and they continued to look and then Damien Rice kicked, they were looking for the next Damien Rice, you know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, Glenn Frames are looking for the next Glenn Hansard and they come and, you know, it's that type of thing. So, but now there's not so much that. They sit down and watch YouTube and they'll see what, how many followers are, what, what people are, you know, clicking into. That's where they get the, that's, they'll then, well, this, this art must be good. Let's say that artist. So it's just different. The the shop window was different, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But the scenarios are pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all the stuff. So I don't know, you know. It's well, it just, just changes so quickly. Like TikTok wasn't around a couple of years ago. And now TikTok is like, you know, you're seeing everyone's doing a version of, you know, Lewis Capaldi's song. So therefore yeah. you're hearing there's 7,000 people singing a song. Yes. How do you get even through the noise of getting discovered? And there's no quality control. That's the problem nowadays is that everybody can record at home pretty decent standards. 
you know, like I have a recording set here at the home that I can do my own stuff, vocals and stuff. But back in the day, <laughs> or back before of that technology, you had to go into a studio and record. So to get even to that stage, you had to be pretty sure to spend your money. You know, people are kind of, there's kind of like no, that quality control factor hasn't gone, you know, that scenario where you, you went, you went out and done gigs and you fine-tuned your songs and you you, you saved up money, you done gigs and you got money together to go to a studio because it was expensive Yeah, to do that because that's what you had to do to get to the next stage. So that in itself was the system of quality control. And now there's not... Like, Somebody can buy a guitar and learn a few songs and buy a phone and be on YouTube uh, two weeks later. And there's so there's so much mediocre stuff out there, and that's that, that's that's the um, there's so much stuff you know to get through, and that it's a minefield, you know, the whole thing, and it's just changing all the time. Which it's the same in podcasts, though, because I see it now all the yeah. time. You see so many people in podcasts who release them, you know, and they've got. They're influencers in some department. They're fashion influencers. And they've got a hundred thousand followers, so they launch a podcast and it's top of the charts every week. And you're like, you listen to it and you go, "This isn't even very good." They're not even asking any questions no. or something. But because they have a hundred thousand followers, therefore yeah. people are going to listen just because, or or they'll get the sponsorship just because. And you're like, "Yeah, where's the good stuff? Let me just keep going. Let me wait, wait, wait until I find the indie podcast that has twenty five followers but is brilliant." Yeah. And that's that's the same for music, you know. It really is exactly the same, you know. But it's and you you tend to find sometimes that the guys that are really good at music or the girls and you know that whatever band they're really shit at the other stuff, like putting themselves up front. So that that's equally as bad because you know most of the guys that I know that I'm big fans of, like they just have no 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 concept of getting online or promoting themselves, but it's. It's a hard slog, and I know I'm the same. It's like self promotion. I'd be like, jeez, like just that in itself stresses me, you know, way beyond the you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be, I just want to sit in a room and write songs and record, and you know, can someone else do that? But of course, in the real world, if you want someone else to do that, yeah, you can get somebody else to do it, but it's going to cost you a lot of money to yeah. get somebody to you know. So you have all those, those, uh, little, you know, struggles or, all the time trying to figure out where, you know, where best to spend your time. Yeah. You know, so you have to divide, you know, like really, I should be just writing songs and recording and doing all, that's what I want to do. But then I'd say, okay, but, you know, I know it's important to do podcasts and talk to Nicola or whatever as well. And I enjoy these things as well when they're, Mm -hmm. when they're good, you know, some, and, and when they're interesting. So it's good, but, and I hope maybe some of my experiences will help others if I can, you know, whatever, maybe not. But it's just it's just getting through all that that stuff and knowing how to divide your time, you know. That's, and because and you know, YouTube and your website and you know, Instagrams and Facebook, it take up a lot of your time and a lot of your energy, which you know, your your creative energy. Yeah, so, uh, that's the main thing. The, the biggest part is that just the. It's just a fucking struggle, you know. It's, it's hard to get out, you know. It's not, yeah. it's not a struggle. It's, to me, it, it, it kind of saps your energy, you know, your creative energy, and then you're like, oh, I'd rather be writing this. I should be like, you know, using that energy for it. And that, that's that's the struggle, you know. It's an ideal word. It'd be lovely to have somebody just say, okay, this is what you do. Go right. So I'll do all the other stuff. But um, and I do have some help from time to time, and there is, you know. But it's um, you know, if you've got a release coming out, you might 
get someone in to do PR for you and stuff mm. like that. You know, there's only so much of that. You, it's all because you're doing everything yourself. It's, you know, it's all down to budget. Yeah, but it's also relentless because like self-promotion, I just, I cringe when I have to do it for myself. But you also, it's it's not like you just do it once a month and then it's done for the month. It's like, I have to do it on Instagram, I have to on TikTok, I have to do Facebook. And then that's yeah. day, that's on a Monday. And then day, on Tuesday, you're like, right, I better do Twitter today. That's yeah. Wednesday, I better do YouTube. Yeah. It's like, ah! Yeah. yeah, that is, yeah, and that, that, that's... I don't know, and I, the, the, thing, the problem is, like most of the guys that are as I say, they're really good musicians. That are really, they just don't, they don't get, they just couldn't be bothered, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, and so it's trying to divide your time, and that's that's really tricky. And then you just get up some days, you go, oh, Jesus, I don't I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm really bad. Like you know, I think the manager said me just do like do ten in the one day and send them to me, and then we'll put them up over two weeks. All right, okay, that's the best thing. That's. And that's how I have to do it sometimes or something like that. Yeah. A whole day dedicated to it. And then no one asked me for anything for six weeks after this, please. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I completely understand why people just go off blind and, you know, you know, because they just, you know, and it becomes, and it's, it's it's weird as well, because you can do stuff like, you know, Facebook lives and stuff. And I enjoy that, you know, because at least you can, some people want to tune in and check in, but, you know, it might be 30 people, 40 people, and it's normally, same 40. <laughs> so trying to get to a new audience is always a struggle and trying to get your stuff out there. Whereas if you go to a new venue, you go to a new country and you go to, you know, that's a new, that's a whole new audience, <clears throat> you know, guaranteed. Yeah. You know, pretty much so. You can do a lot of stuff online, but, you know, you wonder, you wonder, you know, are you, you know, increasing your, spread of your music unless you, you get something that goes viral and then yeah it's hard enough uh, to get that these days though <laughs> ah that's it it is uh, I don't know it's just funny and it's like I was watching some things you just don't know and I, it's, it, I, I done a little thing a, a verse and a course for Chrysler just the night that, that happened I was in Cork and I was just feeling I was away from home and I, I landed in Cork and all this news come through and I left the guitar and I sang a verse and a chorus of Stand By Me, just, you know, I just didn't know what to do. I just, you know, wasn't thinking about you. And I was looking at it then, last night I hadn't seen it, and there's like 30,000 views on it, you know, and you just wonder, and I know it's a totally different thing. Mm. It's like sometimes things just connect and, you know, mm-hmm. it's weird. And then you get another little thing that I'd done that was in, a, in, in Bruxelles downstairs one night and there was like 250,000 people watched it like a song called Home on the Other Side and you just wonder you don't know what those little things are that click the people you know but there's just some things that you know resonate with people and yeah uh, but, and uh, I know that's a maybe a bad example of the Christmas thing you know but it's uh, it was just it was only just a version of course a little, little throwaway thing but something I just wanted to do for just to let people know that I'm you know away from home and I'm kind of thinking about everybody up there and just because I, I know the place and well and mm. you know been in that I've been in that uh, filling station many times filling up and passing through and, you know so it was just one of those things but it's um, yeah it's hard to know what works online and what you know what what clicks with people and what helps people <laughs> well that probably clicked with people because they could get the sentiment behind it like you're so obviously connected to Donegal like you know it's very much part of you and your personality and you know everybody knows that and obviously everybody around the country at that time was so lost of once they heard that story and yeah. in a way didn't know what to do and didn't know what to say and then 
some whatever yeah. it was about that that song. You didn't plan it. It was just something you thought you would do, and it and people caught on to that because it's the emotion obviously was behind it. It's not just somebody doing it for. Mm-hmm oh, I'll do this now and I'll get loads of views. It was more like, I'm heartbroken and I'm away from home. Yeah. That's what connected. Yeah, and that's what it was. Just the version of the chorus of it. Had it been anything else, I would have, you know, planned it. <laughs> it better, but it was just that instant before I went on stage and I just had all the users coming out and I just went, I just wanted to put something up and just, just to say, like, you know, this is terrible and we're thinking about you. And that's all. But, mm. yeah, it's, um, so... It's one of those things, you know. It's uh, but yeah, the, the whole uh, internet thing, and you know, the it's it's a real minefield, and it's it's uh, kind of a moving target all the time, you know. Yeah. It's, not, it's just uh, not something when you would have started your career, you would have thought of. Like you're thinking, I'm no. gonna, I'm gigging, I'm going around pubs and stuff. Then obviously you do, you know, you're a star. You think again, that's a completely different world. You're not thinking, I'm gonna have to up twenty uh twenty second videos where I do something really funny to a dance yeah. move. <laughs> Just to get my single yeah, sold. Sold not me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, um, yeah, and it's it's, it's bizarre because like far before the internet came along, before the you know the options of all those different platforms, um, I mean there was a process in place, and it hadn't really changed uh, mm-hmm. the format of stuff had changed. You know, there was vinyl, there was cassettes, CDs. You know that changed, um, but the actual system of selling records was just, you know, record an album, get out, promote it, do a radio tour, mm-hmm. do a tour, and, uh, you know, go and do an in-store tour. You know, there was little things, and that was it. And once that was finished, you know, the two months or whatever, six weeks after your album, that was it. And then, it, you know, and then, then you just did it go, did we get the charts, did it, and that was how it was done. And that was system was in place for, you know, decades and decades, you know, 100 years or whatever. That hadn't really changed. And then the other day came and, like, everything was changing. There was SoundClouds, there was uh, MySpace, there was all these things initially that started off. And then you had to have a website and Jesus trying to, get, you know, you had to get all that sort of going and, um you know, the things we just didn't understand and trying to keep your website up to date and can make sure you didn't, you know, lose it. Somebody hacking your website and then you lose it because you forgot to pay the bloody fucking thing or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> or I Mickey think. Hart from Tyrone is like, I'm coming to steal that name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, because it was a... a, 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 a there was a my, one of my first of the times I was hacked. The website was hacked. It was hacked by I don't know why uh, some dental uh, service in Australia. You know, and they, 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 so you clicked on it, thing and it brought you to get your teeth fixed somewhere. <laughs> and then there was a story that emerged from that that I was actually a, a dental surgeon. So and it became, so it was up. Somebody put it up on I don't know Wikipedia or something. So any of the interviews were coming in, and we didn't realize that you had you know you were actually went to. And I just so I used to say no at the start. I got so fed up. I used to say yeah. I just used to agree with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, have it, yeah. I always have it in the back burner. You know, just for kids. <laughs> but yeah, I was hacked by this Australian. I don't know why. Uh, sort of yeah, dental whatever. People coming to you with their molars, being like, "Come here, Mickey Joe, yeah, what's, yeah. what's this?" <laughs> yeah, they were like, yeah, "Your your own teeth aren't even really that good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, oh my so god! That was, uh, that, that, that's, that's, <laughs> I love that. I remember yeah. um, 
I remember reading years ago um, an interview with you and I think you'd said you actually didn't even want to do your star. Was that right? But your mom made you do it. Yeah. I love moms. I love Irish mammies. They're yeah. like, I know what's best. That's <laughs> not uh, no, fair. Well, that's... It's, um, I had done a lot of competitions, you know, when I was younger and stuff. And then mm-hmm. I, the last one, I think it was a Live at 3 search for a star. You probably don't remember that. I think it was way back. Um, it was Live at 3. Was that Marty Whelan? Uh, Marty, no, it was Derek Davis. Derek Davis. <laughs> so that's going back in the 90s or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, so it was a big deal back then. Live at 3 was like uh, today's show now, you know, it was their, their version of that. <clears throat> that Dahi would be doing, for example. So, yeah. Uh, them, but they had this other, they had a competition as part of it. They had this thing going on called uh, the Live at 3 Search for a Star or something like that. Um, and they got to the final level. That was the last kind of competition. So, oh, that's it. I'm doing no more competitions. And then uh, we done that on another program called Go For It, which was an RT BBC thing. This was pre that. And then I stopped doing all that and I'd gone so kind of singer songwriter thing. And I had a manager in Dublin, Shay, the state, the Dublin State manager we have. And we had an EP ready to roll. And I was doing a lot of support things for artists like, you know, Jack L and the Saw Doctors and John Spillane and all these. So I'd be going around just doing, trying to, trying to build up a bit of a, you know, follow within the singer songwriter sort of field. And, uh, um, and then Eurostar came along. My mum rang me one day. Said, um, they're in Derry, the program, and it was her sister that rang her field, and Phil Coulter, and all these people were involved. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. And then Louisa, you better go because you're not going to get peace. She's, she's rang me like three or four times. I'm gone for a swamp that day and came back. So anyway, I went down reluctantly to Derry. I was the last person in for the audition on a Sunday and done my thing. I didn't sing the song I thought I was going to sing it in. I spoke to one of the researchers and she was just there and I was kind of vamping away and she said, oh, you're really good. I like what you're doing. And she says, uh, I said, I don't know what to sing. I said, I'm getting many. She says, do you know any Bob Dylan? <laughs> I said, actually, I do, yeah. She said, sing. She said, what are you doing? I said, I do a version of uh, uh, I'll Be Your Baby, you know, it's a Bob Dylan song. And then she says, uh, oh, sing that. She says, they're so I'm pissed off listening to ballads all day. People come on singing, you know, the big, you know, power ballads or whatever, you know, those kind of things, these yeah. competitions, kind of. And uh, I said, all right, I'll go in and done that. And that, uh, I think that's, that helped so much because that got me through the first day. And I went off and told me, get glad these could call the next day and we'll come back. I had to go back the next day. But yeah, I was very reluctant to into it. And then, and I didn't realize that Eurovision was part of it <laughs> <laughs> at all. And I had this discussion with Ray Darcy because he presented Eurostar, obviously. I don't know if you remember, but. Mm. Um, that was 20 years it was nearly 20 years since it and uh, did they not just introduce that as, as it went along because they thought well the popularity of Eurostar is really big so let's send whoever wins this now to Eurovision because there's such a big following for this and it'll be great the person is going you know people will know them and will kind of reconnect people with the Eurovision he says no no he says it was always there from the start so I didn't know that was part of the prize at all until somewhere halfway through when somebody mentioned, you know, this is when you won this, you know, you don't go to Eurovision. And I was, <laughs> so that honestly, so I, I ended up at Eurovision by default completely. <laughs> oh my God. All the people yeah. that used to have to go on the Late Late Show and like fight for, you know, Phil Coulter <laughs> or, you know, whoever to yes. pick them. And you were like, I don't even know I was meant to be here. <laughs> no, I know. So I just get through and I was kind of thinking, well, I was kind of hoping that if I got a few weeks off the television, it might help 
uh, I get to sing some of my own songs maybe it might help to get a record deal or get some attention from a record label that was my intention I didn't intend to one I didn't think I would have the capacity because I thought I'm not the type of person that wants these kind of competitions or whatever but um, yeah so the rest is history and then uh, as I say I just then the Eurovision thing uh, cropped up somewhere along the way halfway through as far as I can remember so I remember being in the Helix backstage and this was kind of said to us before we went out on stage and I oh, didn't realise that was part of the prize and you know but I think uh, yeah I think I may have been the only one that didn't realise <laughs> 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 but I genuinely didn't I was like okay uh, so yeah, that was mad where was the Eurovision on the year that you went then? Latvia, Riga. Lafia, that's where it was. Yeah, yeah. I always, yeah. I'm dying to go to Eurovision, especially now it's going to be in the UK next year. It's going to be in Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah. It looks like so much crack. I'm guessing you didn't get to see the crack side of it because like you'd be working actually at it. Yeah, well, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I, in 20 I years, say, you can let I should you can say let no, know. I was in rehearsing and uh, <laughs> concentrating terribly on the Eurovision that week, but... And I did. I mean, we took it very seriously. And there's a, it's a big, you go out for the full week and there's a lot of rehearsals and tech rehearsals, as you can imagine, at the TV show you're in doing maybe a couple of different rehearsals. There's definitely a full rehearsal every day and then there's all other different things. But uh, the whole week is kind of filled with parties or receptions from different, the, the countries have, you know, every country because they're trying to drum up as much press as you can. And we had one as well. We actually brought my band out uh, and put on our own show. That wasn't, that was nothing RT. We paid that ourselves. Myself, my manager, we put all that together and went out. He went out previous and booked the venue and came back and we brought the band out. So we knew there'd be a lot of European press. So we just thought, well, let's, you know, try and, because RT weren't going to have a part, you know, a reception and such. So anyway, we did that. And um, that was, so you were going around sort of during the week, trying to drum as, as much, go to as many of those and drum as much, which puts away a lot of, you know, you're, so you're, by the end of the week, you're kind of knackered, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's, you have to go and do this, you know, the Eurovision, so you're, you're, as you're, I wouldn't say partied out, but you're just going and you're doing a lot of interviews and you're talking a lot and your voice is, you know, not, you know, where it should be and all that kind of thing, you know, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, but there was a load of support came out, but they stayed in a different hotel and we were in a, I, we were in the artist's hotel and, was, you know, because there were security issues and all there always is with Eurovision, they have to keep it all there. It's very tight security, um, believe it or not. But so, but there was a huge amount of people. We had two, two plane loads chartered from one from Dublin, one from Derry. So I had about three or four hundred people in the hotel and in uh, the Rasses as well, and, and 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 just there for the crack, you know. So mm. it's important. I would say it's one of the biggest supports Ireland ever had in in a. In a in the, in the theatre, you know, it was just mm. just because of Eurostar, you know, not because of the or anything. And then we've got the world. The song obviously was number one before I left mm. for Eurovision here, so that helped a lot. You know, people were just people I didn't know were saying, "Oh, just we'll go out and it'll be a bit of crack." You know, Eurovision fans and people that weren't yeah. just fans and became fans of the show said, "Oh, Jesus, is a great weekend." You know, people just made a bit of a holiday of it. Yeah, and so it was some great stories, and I still meet people to this day saying, "You know, it was the best." holiday we ever had and you know there was such so people made friendships and relationships came out of it and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so I met some people so that was yeah so it's a long week but it's it's, um, it's fun but yeah you're you know it's uh, it's you, you, 
you really need to pace yourself and it probably didn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair you were young you're out there yes, you're like absolutely. I would be the same I'd be like look you have to take when am I ever going to be here again uh, well, that's it, you know, it's like the once in a lifetime thing you know or whatever well unless you're Johnny Logan or something or Jedward <laughs> <Johnny, laughs> Jed uh, you know so it's a kind of a it's, it's, yeah it's once in a, you know it's one of those things and you just uh, just you know you just don't really know. You're just trying to navigate it and trying to figure it all out and go with whatever do. And there was a good, you know, there's a big entourage of our team is with you and they're kind of, you know, trying to steer you to different places and, you know, taking as much of the publicity as you can. So you're trying to keep everybody happy and, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, I just want 20 minutes where I don't have to talk to anybody, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, oh, there's downtime as well, but, you know, it's just, yeah, it is. It's a full on and it should be a full on week, you know, yeah. I remember it was just after um, it was after Eurostar or it was after the Eurovision. I, me and my mates were in college at the time, and I remember we were in this chipper just off of Connell Street. I think it's Sinelli's. I don't think it's there anymore. But right. we like after being out on a night out anyway. It was maybe like twelve o'clock at night, and we were sitting on the floor, being very classy, <laughs> eating a bag of chips. And then yeah. you came in, but you were just obviously just like in getting some chips after a gig or whatever. And my yeah. friend Michelle, who I'm going to embarrass now, was sitting beside me, and she started singing it to you, and I was absolutely <laughs> mortified. I was like, I wish I had a hood. I was like, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, it's, she was like, he likes, he loves this. I was like, he loves drunken fucking twats sitting on the floor. Serenade. Uh, that's great. <laughs> that happens regular. I think you must have been just back from Eurovision because I was like, yeah, he's just had this great time in Eurovision and then he comes home and what a come down. Two girls <laughs> sitting on the floor singing yeah. a song. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I tell you, I've had some experiences in chip shops late at night. Yeah, you have to, you have to really, I, I pull up outside if I'm really, really hungry. I need to be really hungry hungry you know <laughs> and look at you know sort of scan and say okay that's safe enough yeah but, you probably uh, yeah. thought oh those two girls on the floor will be no problem and then you walk yeah. in and it's like hey uh, yeah you're so uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's great. People still sing it, still sing the line to me, you know, on the street or whatever, and it's lovely. So uh, I, I, I think it's great fun. <laughs> we were some of their thrones of that you were telling you, you know. So it's a, it's a nice compliment in a way, you know. It's, yeah, it's, and it's great. You know, it's always done and normally in the the best of humor, you know. And yeah, you know, there's never any. Very rarely there's any malice with it, you know. So I'm very lucky that way. You know, I don't really uh, get a bit of it, but not not much, you know. No, very and I rare. I think I'm sure you're sick of singing it in a way. But like we went to when I was at Electric Picnic there, we went to see the Arctic Monkeys, and like there's maybe three or four of their big, big, big songs that yeah. they didn't sing, and yeah, everyone absolutely. was really disappointed. And I know they must be sick of singing them, but like it's just kind of like you're at an event especially a, a festival and it's not your gig I suppose and yeah. you know people want to hear the big song so obviously when people yeah. come to see you they want to hear it and yeah. you know, and you're, I'm sure you're like right here we go fucking again right yeah. on but everyone goes mental then when it comes on I'm sure yeah absolutely and you know I don't I don't think about it anymore I, I mean after Eurovision and I you know I was probably overthought it a wee bit too much and think, oh geez this is getting away you know my career my singer songwriter stuff and all that but you quickly realise that it's three or four verse or whatever it is it's if, people, if you don't give people that if you don't sing it for them they resent that 
and I can understand that why and uh, that's silly you know and why you would you know and uh, there were times I didn't do it you know because I was kind of thick-headed about it or whatever and uh, you know you sort of pay the price because you know you get the flack for it and you go Jesus you know this isn't worth it and you know then you realise my God and it's so stupid and now I do it especially you know uh, solo when I do it I do a kind of acoustic up tempo vibe and I have a bit fun with it and get people to sing along and have a bit of crack and that's what it's about you know and it's um, I, I really enjoy singing it now you know so um, and I'm very um, it's very I'm very blessed to have a song that people instantly still remember you know and sing to you on the street and like and people send me a at least once or twice a week, I'll get a, a an Instagram meme or whatever you call a thing of somebody at a wedding or somebody, and you know, hey, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the song, and they'll be playing it, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus, it's 20 years, and it's, you know, and I, I do a lot of still college or university gigs, and that audience really wouldn't have known the song from the first time, so it's kind of seems to find a new audience, you know, or seems to find a younger audience that keeps transferring down. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, people embrace it and. Um, and that's uh, allowing me to go and do what I do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful to have a song because there's so many people that go are way more talented than me that don't have that would give the right arm to have a song. Although it's not maybe the type of song that I would write or that I would normally, you know, be singing like, let's say, my singer-songwriter set or whatever, but it's um, it fits in nicely now, you know, with the thing, with what I'm doing as well. So it's, uh, I think, you know, just don't overthink it and just enjoy it. And yeah, and I think it. that's I think that's a problem a lot of like, and it's the same with actors as well, actors who are known for a certain role or singers who are known for a certain song. They overthink things and they think, but this isn't my cool song or it isn't the song that yes. I want to represent me. And I, that's, yeah. I completely get that. Like, it's 20 years of singing the same song, but you're also like, Bono's been singing, you know, songs for 40 years and he knows, sure, he's sick of it, but if it, if it gets the ticket sales and again, there's the other yeah. side of it, that song connects with people in different ways. You know, it could be yeah. the song when their child was born or, you know, at their wedding, yeah. you know, and then yeah. that's a joy to Absolutely. them as well. Absolutely. And that's what you have to remember. You know, the song is a, it's pretty much, it's a joyous song, really. You know, it's an uplifting type of song and it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not really a funeral song, really. So it's not. Gonna, so anybody yeah. that has a memory of it is like that. You know, and people come up to me and saying, "Because your vision was in May," I've a lot of people come to me. Oh, my confirmation was on the same day, and we, you know, <laughs> we we had to stop our confirmation, and go out and watch your thing, and all. Or my holy communion. I remember the scene. You know, so it, there's a lot of that comes around, and then people, you know, would have used it for their weddings, and as you say, like you know, people were born, or you know, they would have. Had, children around the same time that remind them of it or you know there's just little stories like that all the time that keep coming up so it's uh, you know never it's uh, the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> yeah well it's great oh, whatever. and even if, if if somebody only knows you from that song and then sees that you're doing a gig in their local town they're gonna go yeah. and, and see you and then hear your other music which I suppose exactly. can only be a benefit and that's exactly how I look at it. You know, it's like I piggybacked a lot of stuff off it over years, you know, over the years. And I've been, you know, able to, whatever, nearly 20 years later, still go out and release music and get people uh, interested. And, you know, and that's that's how, that's how it you know, works for me. And, yeah, but it's, uh, <clears throat> I, yeah, I don't think, of, you know, I don't overthink it anymore. You know, I just to sort of ponder upon it, but it's, it's, it, doesn't, it makes no sense. You know, it's just that it it's a part of, it's a part of me, a part of my set now. And it's, yeah. <laughs> you 
it's good. It's all good. And so, you know, with new music now, the stuff that you're bringing out now, you know, obviously you're older than I suppose when people would have first met you and stuff like that. Um, how do you find the music that you're putting out now, like people are reacting to it? I suppose it's just, um, it's it's just more hard fast, more, it's, 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 I write songs now for myself primarily, you know, and, and um, from situations that I'm, you know, aware of or that I understand and that and I think you know it's kind of right about what you know and what you understand best is is and that's not to say I don't write other things too formula or you know if I'm asked to write for a certain thing sometimes I can do that too and I've uh, mm. been asked to do that commission to do things or whatever uh, primarily I kind of just I write for myself uh, but I'm always still thinking about um uh it's hard to kind of separate the two but uh I suppose just the the, the it's people that come along that don't know my music come along to hear we've got the world and then they, they hear the show and they, mm. they hear the songs and the depths of the songs I hope and um, you know I have a lot of stuff I have a lot of um, I, I have a lot of you know I've, I can change my set to, to to work the audience depending on what's there as well a, a little bit and so and I think they were genuinely surprised you know that's, that's one of the things the reactions that I get they come up and say well, wow you know we only know for we've got the world or a couple of songs and then you've got this kind of um, back catalogue of stuff if you want to say that you know it's really rich you know and um, and and you know, it's it's that's you know it's real and it's 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 heartfelt and it's all those kind of things. So that's that's kind of the the, the nicest reward for me when people come up and say that and they go or they'll get a song like the song called Border Town, for example, and it seems to resonate with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's on a tour of an American girl there, she was in Ireland and England, and um, and she, she wouldn't have known my stuff so much and. Uh, and then a couple of things of the gig, she came up, oh, she says, I want to come on stage and play Border Time with you. Is that okay every night? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's great. So we did, so there's little songs like that that every so often, you know, pop up as well and different tunes. That, it's nice when you when they resonate with people, people pick out certain things that you wouldn't know, you know. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just, that's just nice, you know, when that happens. And I think that's the biggest thing now is people come in genuinely get a kind of genuine surprise because they're not really expecting maybe it to be as as um, uh, as kind of more uh, I don't know as, in, as deep as it is or as, as you know I put a lot of thought into the, the songs and, and the, the set and you know trying to and the emphasis is on my own stuff and I'll stick in a few covers a few uh, you know interpretations of things I do as well I always try and mix it up and keep it Interesting for people as well, because yeah. you're you're interested introducing a lot of new music or songs that they wouldn't necessarily sing. It's nice to have it um, sort of interjected with some covers here and there that are you know my own little thing. So yeah, that's that's how the set rolls, you know, really. And do you find that nowadays that it's easy, um, the best way to promote yourself nearly is these live gigs? Because I find that radio is very hard to get your song played on. Like I talked to Billy McGuinness from Aslan, and like you know one of the biggest yeah. bands in Ireland, and he's saying how hard it is for them to get a song on the radio that's not Crazy World or, you know, this is. Um, so he's saying yeah. for them, it's really hard. And so that they kind of rely on, that's why they do all these gigs in very small towns down in rural Kerry or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it's nice thing I was doing. <laughs> Bali Perrine Festival comes to mind during the year, you know, and it was 
you think like the Valley Prem Festival, but they had a really good setup, and there was like two hundred people in a marquee, a little marquee thing that they'd set up, and they all paid their fifteen quid or whatever to come in mm. to the gig. And it was a brilliant night, and you just go away thinking, you know, that's fantastic, you know, and that's just one of the kind of examples that I can give of doing like little smaller, and it suits me because it's like an acoustic, it's a solo sort of set, and it's um um. So yeah, I, I love all those kind of smaller venues as well, where you can kind of you know really connect with people and yeah. and build a, build a kind of fan base or you know that or you know get them coming back and interacting with you, you know, and interacting with you online and all those kind of things as well. So um, yeah, there, there's yeah, absolutely, you know, getting out and just getting on the road, it's it's, it's hard to substitute. And you know, the other thing is that. I found during COVID that that's a very obvious thing to say that when you take the gigs out of the equation of, of, mm. of being a life musician, being a working musician, when you take that part of it out of it, it doesn't matter how many sort of online things you do or whatever, or trying to motivate yourself without the gigs. It's uh, the live gigs for me, you know, is what feeds everything else. You know, it keeps me motivated. And when you take that out, my motivations, you know, um, lapses, you know, it's really hard to get motivated because you, you're thinking, writing these songs or I'm rehearsing for this. And what I'm rehearsing for is, you know, to go online to sing into a phone or something, you know, or whatever. It's, so the live gigs are such an important part. I know that's a very obvious thing to say, but it really, it can't, I can't stress it enough, you know, and I, it was a great eye-opener to realise how important just being able to get in the car and go to a venue or go to a radio station and do your thing or whatever it might be or a TV station or um, go and do your sound check and set up and play to a couple of hundred people or whatever it might be at that. When you take that part of it out of the equation, it's, yeah, I don't know, it just falls, it falls in his arse, you know, it really, there's, I, I don't know. <laughs> No, I, 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 to- I totally no, get it. Like you've made your career out of being face to face with people and singing with them, and like the the, yeah. the hidden part is obviously when you're in the re- the studio and stuff like that. That's you know that's a different kind of vibe. But the excitement is that album is finished, that song is finished, whatever. Now I get to play it and watch people's faces and see they love it. That you know women love it or young people love it or whatever, and get the kind of feedback. And you can't get that if you're if it's your phone and it's just you going like mm, playing the guitar. Yeah. You have no idea if yeah. are, even if they're pressing the like button on a Facebook like you you don't know if they're actually enjoying it. Yeah, we all are guilty of that, but maybe the younger generation or people who have known nothing, I don't know. I'm like, maybe the online thing is their kick, is their live thing, and that's fine because that's how they what they know. But I know just being in front of an audience on a stage, and and most of the musicians I know, the people I know feed of that and when that's gone so but you know maybe that will change you know maybe the you know the people the young people that are singing and playing now you know and bands maybe maybe it's fine for them to have this studio online studio that people tap and maybe that's their kick I don't know maybe that's the way it's going to go for some people but yeah. for me once you and a lot of people if you take the life stuff out of it it's uh the kind of it's the blood, it's the lifeblood of the whole thing, you know, and it's you know the rest suffers, you know. But hmm. yeah, I don't know. Judging by how much money I've already spent on gigs since the pandemic lifted, I'd say everyone's mad to get out there. Like last week alone, I think seven people announced gigs. Yeah. I was like, 
all on sale on the same day. I was like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's an awful lot of stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other, that's the other problem. Everybody's, yeah, there is a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff isn't selling out, you know, like it doesn't because there's so many things happening. It's, uh, so yeah, we only have a small country, you know, really it's, mm. uh, we don't have, you know, we've, we've the biggest bands in the world playing, stopping in Dublin and Belfast and all these places and Cork and Limerick, you know, and so many different options. And it's, uh, yeah. And we're, which is good. But uh, you know, something has to, you know, something has to suffer, you know, as well. And, you know, some of the yeah. start selling at the minute, you know, which is. But that's why I think the smaller, like the likes of the gigs that, you know, like I was saying, as under doing or you were doing are going to sell better yeah. because I'm from a small town. And if anybody is any sort of name that comes and plays in my small town, everyone mm. in the town is going to go see them because A, yeah. they can get home cheap. They don't want to pay for accommodation. Also, yeah. they're just like, why are they playing here? I have to go and see why they're playing in this town. Yeah. Like, whereas yeah. if I go to Dub- if you're going to Dublin and you don't live in Dublin or Limerick or Cork or Belfast, you have to pay for transport. You have to pay for, you know, staying yeah. there and it's expensive. So bring on the small gigs. <laughs> ah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> I noticed that Paul Heaton's doing like they're doing the three arena and, uh, it's the beautiful South, you know, Paul Hayden and, uh, oh God, this is the other girl that sings, no, she's gone, my head's gone anyway, but they're doing three arena, I and see they're doing three huge bit gigs, but they're also doing the Ballard Theatre and Ballard Buffet, which <laughs> I think holds a hundred, maybe 180 people or something, because they really love doing small gigs as well, and I'm a big fan of his, he's a great songwriter, so, um, what they're doing so it's it's you know it's it's a bit of everything in the bit. yeah <laughs> you know there's no the, the, the rule book has been tore up a little bit you know which is good in a way uh when you see it because it's funny but I, I know they're advertising those see big gigs but i know he's they're doing the, the baller as well which is brilliant you know but, yeah but sigrid's did the same she's doing she did one in donegal and in um she's doing one in uh, mitchellstown and cork and somewhere else because yes. they were all part of festivals she was meant to do, like she meant to do C-sessions during COVID. Or yeah. And instead yeah, of, you know, writing those gigs off, she's doing the three arena. Yeah, the big one. And then she's like, I'm also going to play, you know, Kennedy's Pub that holds 32 people. And you're like, that's so class. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah brilliant. it's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, probably enjoy that every bit as much, if not more, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, As you uh, say, those gigs are much more nerve-wracking, the small ones where you can see everybody's face than the three arena. Yeah, especially when they're in your own hometown <laughs> on a Thursday night, I know. <laughs> and you're like, well, there's your man I went to school with. There's your one that yeah, I, yeah. When I was 12. <laughs> there's me, <there's> me mommy. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not looking impressed. Uh-oh. Oh no! <laughs> I can tell by her face if she's liking the song or not, or if I said something wrong. <laughs> You're like, crap! End this song. She's not smiling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before I, before I let I you go, um, where can people find out uh, gigs and all that kind of stuff if they want to see go and see it? Where will they find like your new music and all that kind of stuff? So give us a shout out for all your website and socials and stuff. Uh, I suppose Facebook. Uh, and Instagram is where I sort of post things, bits and pieces. Hmm. And um, so uh, that's kind of the main. I'm not on TikTok yet. I'm having, <laughs> I'll have to get some of those twenty second things going. I just I'm working out. I'm working out my dance routines. I haven't got them quite 
<laughs> perfected yet. I can see you doing the Beyonce dances now next. Yeah, next yeah. time. Well, I did be I did a, I did Beyonce. Uh, uh, what, what did I do uh, for Beyonce? Uh, for Ray Darcy way back. started singing that I was like which Beyonce song is this for a second even though I love that song it's because it was done so differently <laughs> I literally was yeah, like yeah. singing it and dancing it but going I don't even know which song yeah. this is yet so that is brilliant I love that yeah I know yeah, it's, it's one of those ones when the, when the chorus kicks in everybody goes oh yeah oh, that's the one. <laughs> I know that for uh, even better than the real thing Ray Darcy uh, the album way back he had these albums out and uh, yeah, with Irish artists singing other people's songs so, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I did that and uh, yeah, I still do it at the gig. So I haven't got a crack with it because uh, yeah, not my my story is that it never want to let you know, which was the second single after we've got the world. Mm. It went to number two and we couldn't get past it, number two and then other week. But re- that Crazy in Love was released on the same day as Never Want to Let You Know. So it was never going to get to number one because Crazy in Love was number one. So then when I went into Ray, he asked me to sing a song. I said, you know what? <laughs> Could I sing that Beyonce song that kept me off number one? So uh, <laughs> I sang that, and it's kind of been in the set ever since. So I, that's my little uh, bit of crack. But it, he put it on an album, and then the album went to number one. So I said, I got my number one, but <laughs> with all the other ones. You see, so what you my, do is my little story. You yeah, get stories when, when you come to the gig. Yes, when you put it on your tour poster, just being like Mickey <laughs> Joe Hart featuring Beyonce. People are gonna be like, "What the hell?" They'll flock there, and then you just start yeah. singing it. Yeah, whatever happened to Beyonce? <laughs> 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 never happened to her <laughs> oh well listen thank you so much uh, for chatting to me you've got loads of new music out thank now you, Derry Girl is the song yes, and we have the new uh, the new album what's that going to be called uh, I have a f- I'm not sure yet it's, we're, we're, I'm, I'm working on it but I, and I have a few titles in my head so I'm not but I better not say anything yet okay say when, you can tell me when it's <laughs> so official you're always on the road so go and find them make it your yeah yeah, I'll, find yeah I'm gigging and just the world is my oyster because you've got the world tonight. <laughs> I've got, yeah. Oh, on, my cringy on, line. On that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell, I'll let you go back to preparing. Yes. <laughs> I was good talking to, to you. you. And uh, I'll hopefully see you in person soon. Yes. Come to a gig. We'll have to hook up and do it. Let's do a gig. Super. I will Give absolutely me a let you know what's yes. happening. All right. All right. All right, lovely. Talk Thanks, to you soon. Bye bye. See you. The fabulous Mickey Joe Hart there. Absolutely love Mickey Joe. We had some crack chatting away. He's really so nice. I I knew Mickey Joe like years ago. Probably 10 years ago is probably the last time I've seen him. But he's so sound and it was lovely to kind of chat to him about his origin story and I suppose the side that people don't know that he was actually out doing this gigging stuff for years before Eurostar and that he's still doing it now. You know, he does this all like without um, massive re- record labels and yet you know he'd still be selling out nights out and everything like that so if he is coming to an area near you I would definitely recommend going and seeing him guaranteed a great night out and the song of the century will be in it so um, 
Yeah. And if you're like me, you're feeling super old after hearing that that song and that Eurovision was 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm living now in this like denial phase of, oh my God, I'm so old. I'm so old. But I'm, every time I hear that, I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm so young. I'm so young. I'm back in those days. Thank you so much anyway for Mickey, to Mickey Joe for coming on the podcast and for being the first episode of 2023. It's been great to chat to him. I am going to leave you now. I've got a couple of amazing guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. I really hope you do enjoy them. And if this is your first time listening, thanks a mil for tuning in. And as always, come subscribe, like, rate, review, the usual thing that all your podcasts ask you to do. But as a wee little one, only a little small podcast, it really means a lot to me. So if you've got a f- couple of spare seconds, just go and click that subscribe button, the like button, the rate, whichever it is, and leave us a little five star review or write me a little um, review. And also we're on Instagram and on Twitter. Just search Tis Yourself. You'll find us there. Love to hear from you. Drop me a little line. Let me know if there's anything that stuck out from the episode for you or from any of our other episodes. Anyways, we're out every single Saturday. So if this is your first time, we'll be out every Saturday. We've This is season four. So three seasons behind us and we three episodes before Christmas. So make sure to catch up on them. But until next Saturday, I hope you're well. Look after yourselves. It's long fall.